Hello and welcome to the Run With Ellie live show, the show that brings you stories from your everyday runners to professional athletes and other specialists in the running community who all share a common passion for the sport. I'm your host, Coach Allie. I hope my podcast can help you change the way you live and the way you move so in the long run, you're able to live a sustainable and healthy lifestyle that you deserve. The purpose of this podcast is to promote the love of running. Throughout my experience speaking with the individuals in the running community, I've found that many of us seek acceptance and relatability in some way, shape, or form. On Run With Alley Live, I tie together the common pain points and solutions through the stories told by the special guests on the show. Each individual has a unique running journey and shares how running impacts the mind and body in the sport and outside of it, both mentally and physically. So stop being so hard on yourself. Tune in right here weekly for new motivational episodes with special guests to inspire you to change your life for the long run. Thank you once again for joining us on Run With Ally Live. Please don't forget to support the show and our special show guests by clicking on the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you choose to listen to the show on. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Run With Alley Live podcast. It is August 2nd, and it is beautiful here in Frisco, Colorado. Andy, I don't know if it's how the weather is, where you are. How is it? It's it's actually, yeah, it's actually beautiful and sunny here today as well. I'm in Portland in Oregon at the moment. Um, I think it's unusually hot here, but I'm not complaining because it's been great being outdoors. Yes. Oh, there's nothing like being in the outdoors and you're coming to Colorado soon anyway. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And before we formally introduce you on the podcast to the returning listeners to the show, uh, please do not forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Uh, To the new listeners on here, welcome. And thank you so much for joining today. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you use today the code ALLY15, you get 15% off your first order at Precision Fuel and Hydration, which is the company that Andy Blow here is the founder of. And we're going to have him speak to us today all about this product, how it came about, and his role in the company. So yes, uh, without further ado, Andy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. And you know, get a little FaceTime on here too. And yeah, thank you so much for joining today. Um, so that being said, I'd love to for you to introduce yourself and to let the listeners on here know who you are, what you're about, and about Precision Fuel and Hydration. Yeah, so um, Precision Fuel and Hydration started in 2011 formally, you know, just over 10 years ago now. Um, which makes me feel old when I say that. But we we kind of started out of the, the fact that I was a triathlete um, and a sports scientist. And when I was competing in triathlon, I found it incredibly difficult to compete in hot and humid conditions as compared to what I do in the cold. And now probably everyone thinks, well, yeah, well, we all struggle in the heat. But the difference between my ability to perform in the heat and the cold was completely dramatic. I would you know, potentially I was winning some races. I was racing at quite a high level and in cool conditions, I was crushing it. And then I'd go to, you know, the the best example is I went to Kona to do the Ironman in the heat and just totally fell apart. I would always end up in the medical tent or just walking the run in an Ironman and feeling 
like absolute trash the whole time and it would you know to the point of almost getting ill and it it wasn't for quite a few years of going through this that I began to put two and two together and realized it was something to do with my hydration um I I've always known I sweat a lot and I you know for I'm I'm not a particularly big guy I'm probably you know kind of average size for an endurance athlete I weigh about 150 pounds or so if I'm racing and um, but my sweat rate can be super high, like two and a half liters per hour quite easily. And, and and so I always thought this is because I sweat so much, you know, that I'm having these problems. A doctor friend of mine, though, pointed out that it wasn't probably just how much I was sweating. He said, I think you lose a lot of salt because the problems I was having, like cramping and nausea and sort of lightheadedness and, and all this. He, he and, and he could see that I had salt marks all over my clothing my race clothing he said we should get your sweat electrolyte composition tested because i think you're losing a lot of salt and sure enough i had a sweat test in a hospital back in sort of i think this is this was early 2000s and it, it showed that i lose a really high amount of sodium in my sweat compared with the average person like two and a bit two and a half times what the average person loses in their sweat and kind of based on that we did we did some maths we worked out a spreadsheet that said look if this is how much you're sweating during a, a hot Ironman race and this is how much you're losing in terms mm-hmm. of fluid and salt you're replacing actually probably enough fluid or maybe even too much fluid but nowhere near enough salt and nowhere, nowhere near enough electrolytes and when I made a change and effectively dramatically increased the amount of salt I was taking in and reduced the amount of fluid I was taking in it was like night and day for me it made all the difference and you're, I mean, you're an accomplished athlete yourself. You'll know that in endurance sports, there's not many things that you can do which overnight make an insane difference to your performance. You know, we're, we're always sold on the idea of certain products or technologies or techniques and stuff are going to be the revolution and they never are. But for me, that one particular thing was such an unlock to a new level of performance that it was it was something that stuck with me and then when I transitioned out of being a full-time athlete and into my career working as a sports scientist and supporting athletes I immediately thought this is something they're doing sweat testing is not something that's widely available and I kind of feel like it should be or it could be useful to more athletes and that's that's how we got going in the first place that's amazing and you know first of all I can't believe you've done Kona that's (laughs) Besides Leadville, I mean, I aspire to do that one day when I'm done racing marathons. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah kudos to you on that. And that's, you know, amazing. And, you know, that kind of that you're, you went from athlete to sports scientist, and now you're paying forward what basically you struggled with to other, so many other athletes. And I, I know that, you know, even though I'm in Colorado right now, being in New York, running through the humidity, sweating everything out, like you, similar to you, um, at the end of a 20-mile run, like having all this salt on my body, I always wonder, what's my sweat rate? Because Garmin obviously is not completely accurate. We all know that. Um, of course, it's a good guidance tool, but you know, that's actually something I struggle with too. And many of the listeners on here, which are aspiring marathoners and seasoned ones too, distance runners, uh, it's just so hard to kind of, you know, fine tune that and get enough electrolytes, but just like, yeah, stay hydrated. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, your, your product is great and it could really help a lot of runners. 
struggle yeah. when they, you know, cramping and just feeling like they can't move and, you know, just all of the bad things that come with that. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, what you've said about sweat rate is an interesting one because that's something which until I perceived I was having problems, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to what my sweat rate was. And then I learned the, the simple way of measuring your sweat rate, which is to weigh yourself before and after some training sessions uh, and look at that body weight difference. We actually have a, a pretty cool blog on that's our website. A, that's now a really, a, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, that's yeah. like what the elite like pros do. They, I mean, yeah, the ones I follow, they, weigh themselves before and after their hard workouts like really understand their sweat rate um yeah and to look at how well they're recovering what their nutrition hydration strategy is doing and the the blog on our site if people search for that on precisionfuelandhydration.com in the knowledge hub it's it's got a free download with it so you can download a spreadsheet to put your data in so it works it all out for you and and it can give you you know learning just what your sweat rates like like you say the, the classic marathon running session the long sunday morning 20 mile run it's super interesting to start to figure out okay well if i start this run at you know 150 pounds and i end at 146 pounds you know what, what effect does that have on my performance does it mean i need to drink a little bit more or you know you you build up a picture if you do it regularly enough and that's something which you know i i wish i'd have done it earlier in my racing career was really getting to grips with those figures and figuring out how much fluid loss i could tolerate or, or how much was optimal for me in order to recover better from training and perform better in races so that that's a that's an easy step for people to take i think yeah and you know i'm of course i'm going to be sharing your fuel and hydration planner that's what you're referring mm. to um, in the show notes um, and your free consultation link. Um, I'm actually going to take you up on that because I find that yes. extremely interesting. And um, to the listeners on here, um, there's a planner that provides you with a personalization um, recommendation for your event that you're training for to understand how many carbs, fluids, and sodium um, or sodium you should be aiming to consume during your training to recover better. Um, and that I, I, can imagine how much that could elevate your running performance and just yeah. overall health. Right. Well, I think, yeah, I think runners as runners, cause although I was a triathlete running was the, my first sport running was actually my, probably my best sport of the three as a triathlete. And it's the one I still do most of now. And I definitely feel like runners are at a disadvantage to, to cyclists and other endurance athletes when it comes to fuel and hydration, because for one, it's harder to eat and drink when you're running because on the bike you stick some, you know, people stick the bars or gels or whatever in their back pockets. And you've always got one or two water bottles on the frame of your bike. Super easy. Mm -hmm. Also cyclists routinely do training sessions that are sort of 90 minutes, two hours plus. So you have to fuel and hydrate. So you learn early in your cycling career that fuel and hydration on the move is a key thing to do. Runners. Oftentimes we train for less than an hour. You know, a lot of running sessions are less than an hour. Even if you're a long distance runner, you still do multiple sessions in the week, probably that are short, short enough to get away without any fuel and hydration. So when you do do the infrequent long runs, especially the long hard runs in training, we're often not very good at intuitively knowing how to fuel and hydrate. And you often end up running in that sort of that zone around 90 minutes, two hours, say, where if you're fit and if you're tough, you can tough it out and get through without drinking and eating very much or if it, in, in some circumstances, anything. But that's not what always optimal because then you might find your performance tapers off towards the end of the run. You're certainly going to find that you don't recover as well. 
and and so runners sometimes need a bit more encouragement i think to to play around with eating and drinking and that's one of the things that that fuel and hydration planner on our site is designed to do is to get people thinking about okay well how much do i really need to maintain my performance over a long duration that's so interesting that you say that and that makes you know complete sense i'm just thinking here fueling is such an art and it's such a like for marathon runners it's a non-negotiable you need a fueling strategy and a hydration strategy and everything around the fitness to be a successful marathon runner and recover well and be able to walk after your training runs and your race. Um, it's funny that you say, you know, your, your planner helps people to recover better because I just think when sometimes when I run in a facet state and I'm trying to, you know, train my body to use fat as fuel, I feel terrible. It feels terrible. And like, yeah, I definitely don't recover as well. Um, how do you feel about fasted training? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I fasted training. So to, to preface what I'm going to say is fasted training is probably something I do quite a bit, quite a lot of, but more through lifestyle circumstance than as a conscious choice. Like I train early in the morning, like this morning I was in the pool at 5.45, 6 a.m., and I'm not getting up any earlier than five if I don't have to, you know, so I haven't really got time to eat a significant amount of calories before that session. If I've eaten, I actually had a relatively early meal the night before as well, like 6 p.m. So I've gone for probably 12 hours and all I've had when I woke up was a coffee um, mm. and I've taken a bottle of electrolyte drink to the pool with me. And, and that's pretty common routine for me, either to get up and run or swim for anything between 30 and 60 minutes on an empty stomach. I find that that works well for me. I've probably trained myself to do it well over the years. And I, I do kind of feel like there's some metabolic health benefits you can get from that for, for definite. What I would say, though, is that I'm only training seven or eight hours a week these days and i think if i was training more than that if i was training for serious goals i would limit the amount of fasted training i did to the bare minimum because for exactly what you've said like training with limited energy is a walking a tightrope um you you can there are some potential metabolic benefits from it but they're kind of often for people in heavy training they're often outweighed by the risks of inadequate fueling and recovery and my my advice to anyone training hard for a goal is is to prioritize fueling before and during training sessions um, in order to maintain performance to maintain recovery and and you know you you will become meta you will still become metabolically improved by by increasing training load as opposed to by artificially increasing the stress of training hungry um, i think also it's i don't want to get into anything too kind of deep or controversial but it's especially with runners endurance athletes you know and the, and the whole idea of like taking things to extremes you know we we definitely see people in the community that that are training to lose weight or manage weight and then if not eating around training is becomes a mechanism for actually doing that that can be quite unhealthy and so you know i would say if in doubt fuel fuel well for your training and you will still you still make massive gains in every area. And, and training fasted is something to use extremely sparingly if you if you're not careful. Yeah, you know I love that you said that um, because especially you know to the listeners on this show, predominantly marathoners and distance runners. If you're training for a marathon, 
Yeah, I would hope that you're running upwards of 40 miles a week, um, yep. spending a good amount of time on your feet and varying the intensity a little bit too. So having different demands, um, you know, and yes, just fueling around your training and just taking into consideration the consistency that you're, you know, spending running and cross training um, to do most of that in a facet state is just not good. I agree with that. And, you know, yeah, it's a slippery slope when someone's trying to lose weight and train for a marathon. I personally don't recommend to any runners that I take on for coaching to run a marathon and simultaneously try to lose weight by doing so. You know, I think that it's just, it's too slippery of a slope because it just could lead to injuries and just being someone who has been pretty injured and going through that slippery slope. I, yeah, I just can't really understand it very well, but yeah. I think, I think if you're training, I've always tended to find if you're training hard, you know, kind of good body composition comes as a byproduct of, of training hard for goals. And mm-hmm. rather than being an end, a goal in and of itself, um, we, we just published a couple of blogs on the website, which have been really popular on that topic as well. So I'll share those with you for the, for the show notes, but, um, yeah, it, it, we've got we've got one about fasted training and another couple of them about kind of optimal body shape for different types of performance. Because in in the world of triathlon, the guy who's absolutely killing it at the moment is um, Christian Blumenfeld, the Norwegian athlete who's won Olympic gold, Ironman World Championships, broken seven hours in that kind of sub seven quest for the Ironman. He's but and he his body shape is is not the archetypal sort of the stick thin, lean well he is lean but he's not that kind of um, typical endurance athlete look he's a, he's a bigger guy and it's caused it's prompted a load of you know debate and controversy in in various aspects of social media as it normally does and one of our athletes that we sponsored Dougal Allen who's a professional um, multi-sport racer from New Zealand has written a really nice well-balanced and kind of thought-provoking piece about that kind of optimal body shape and the fact that really yeah you've got to Fit, fitness is is not just about um well it's about power to weight ratio and in power to weight ratio you've got power as well as weight everyone focuses on the weight and minimizing the weight but actually you can you can tip that equation in your favor by being powerful and being powerful involves being strong well-built resilient and what you mentioned is what you touched on as well as consistency you know it's no good if your training is is something that happens you know slowly methodically over a long long period of time and ticking the boxes and keeping it consistent is way more important than peaking and troughing so you know yeah. and nutrition hydration they both support consistency for sure you wouldn't be able to be consistent without them and about body shape i love that you said that because as a female runner you know um we come in all shapes and sizes and you know some of the best runners in the world distance runners they're not the most fit looking quote unquote, but they are pretty darn fit. And so it's not necessarily all the aesthetics. It's what, what you said, power, the power, the strength that they have. And, you know, that, that comes from fitness, of course, but that comes from taking care of yourself and yeah, not, not just, you know, working out, hydrating, sleeping, fueling properly. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, um, I have an interesting question for you. Do you have a recommendation for how, just in generally speaking, how athletes should approach 
you know, I guess learning how much carbohydrate to take per hour or, you know, per session. Um, I would love to hear your take on that. Yeah. So yeah, carbohydrate recommendations for athletes is something we started off as precision hydration, advising athletes on hydration and, and kind of staying in our lane to a degree with that because we felt comfortable that that was an area where we'd done a lot of, we'd done some research and we had a lot of practical experience, but clearly fueling goes alongside that. And a few years ago, we started to have a lot of conversations with athletes that would, that would result in them asking us our opinions on fueling. So we started to develop a kind of an understanding of the science as well as a reflecting on our own personal experiences. And what, what was amazing for me learning that is even though I was relatively experienced and I, as an endurance athlete and had had some good results in my time was that I realized that the science was definitely indicating that I wasn't consuming enough carbohydrate when I was racing for long distances. And so I personally started to experiment with increasing that. And then alongside that, we were looking at bringing out a fueling product range and then alongside it, these tools and calculators on our website. And so what I would say to the majority of endurance athletes is that if you haven't looked at what the science says about fueling for performance, the good thing about fueling as opposed to hydration is fueling is way more, it's not completely universal, but the guidelines are far tighter because we know that for shorter activities, you know, up to a couple of hours, kind of 30 grams of carbohydrate an hour is probably adequate if you start well fueled. Beyond that, you can move up to 60 grams an hour. So that would be typical for a lot of marathon runners. And then for really long stuff like Ironman and ultras and things, up to 90 or even 100 grams of carbs an hour is what athletes are using to best effect to sustain top performance. And so, you know, if you if you're looking for getting yourself in the right ballpark, we've got this quick carb calculator on our website or the fueling planner. But don't be surprised if the recommendations that spit out are more than you're currently taking in in some of these long hard training sessions or races, because I would say the majority of athletes are probably skimping on the or running it running it pretty light on the fueling side. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty common. And if We've actually also got a lot of case studies on our website now. So we do post-race interviews with a lot of elite athletes to look at what they're eating and drinking. And then we've got a fantastic team of sports scientists here who sit down and crunch the numbers and really look at how much fluid, how much sodium and how much carb athletes are taking per hour. And we've got that for marathon runners, ultra marathon runners. We've got it for a lot of triathletes and cyclists as well. And you can start and you can really start to see what some of the best in the world are doing when it comes to fueling and hydrating. And quite often the numbers blow people's minds. You know, we've, um, a, a great example recently would be Fenella Langridge. who's a, a female triathlete from the UK. Fenella is tiny. I think she's probably in the 50 some kilo range, oh, wow. uh, body weight, but, but consume nearly 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour when she did eight and a half hours of wrath at the at the iron distance challenge event there recently and you know fantastic commitment to her for you know training her body to fuel that effectively for that long to be able to sustain that level of performance this is someone who's running under three hours for the marathon at the end of a an ironman after she's ridden it you know close to 25 miles an hour or whatever on the bike for four hours. It's, it's insane, Yeah. but it's, yeah. So, so I would say have a dig around if people are interested in working out how much fuel they think they might need, have a dig around on the website and have a look. And, and as I say, don't be shocked if it's a little bit more than what you're 
maybe currently doing and and if and if it's way more than you're currently doing don't try and just jump to doing the top end of the recommendations immediately it's like anything you want to probably if you if you're currently taking one gel on your two-hour run you don't want to suddenly jump up to taking six you know it's like okay let's 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 do one per hour and then maybe move it up to one every 40 minutes and just kind of nudge it forward so you can get your body and, and mind used to it so and break it in slowly of, yeah no i love that and that's i guess how you would advise people to train their gut yeah more or less is just over time implementing more carbohydrate i mean that's amazing like someone running a sub three-hour marathon first of all that's my current my current goal is to run a faster marathon. I'm close. I'm at yeah. 302. And like after all 24 hours, just, that's mind blowing. But again, she had the carbs to fuel that. She yeah. had the training Holy. strategy around the fitness to fuel that. And that's just incredible. Um, it's funny, you know, I actually, um, in terms of like fuel, I believe in taking something like before your racing and starts and like every 20 minutes, if you could train yeah. your gut to do that. Um, and you know, not jumping to it right away because your body will probably reject it very quickly. Yeah, De- definitely. I would say that's another thing is people sometimes they don't try fueling very much in training. They then try a pretty aggressive fueling approach in a race. It doesn't work because they get GI distress, and then assume no, I I can't do that. But it's like anything. It's like you, you wouldn't be able to go out and run seven minutes a mile if, if you'd only trained at eight you know you need to you need to go there in training so and i love the idea for runners of having a beeper on your watch you know that just gives you a little reminder every 20 minutes have you taken gel or whatever you don't you, you want to stick to that schedule but you don't have to stick to it religiously you know you you want that prompt at 20 minutes to go right can i take some more energy in now i ought to i'm going to and unless there's a good reason not to you, you do it and i think you know starting off at every 40 minutes bring it down to every 30 every 20 minutes that's certainly what the elite athletes are doing they may even be you know they, they have an aid station typically every about five kilometers in a marathon so for elite athletes that's going to be closer to 15 minutes than 20 minutes and they're they're guzzling down a lot of carbohydrates at, at each of those stops from very early on in the race usually um, which surprises people because it wasn't that long ago it was probably only 25 years ago when marathon runners were being told to minimize what they took in i feel like that's still a stigma now today and yeah. i'm glad that we're at that i'm so happy we're having this conversation because it's not that should not i don't no. understand it's it's you're no one's being a hero by not taking in enough uh fuel or you know water it's I love what you said about, you know, if you don't run a seven minute mile in a race and you don't train like that, like similar to like fueling, if you don't train your gut during your training, how do you expect to race optimally by just all of a sudden fueling every 20 minutes? It's the same thing. You got to treat, you know, your fitness is only as good as your recovery, I guess, and your fueling. Um, And I love that point that you made. Um, We got to get rid of that stigma that less is more in terms of fueling. Yeah. Well, I I look. I look back, my dad used to run marathons when I was young and I had no sports science knowledge back then. And I remember being at the end of the London marathon one year when he ran, I think it was like three, you know, he was in the kind of like three twenties or something like that. Like pretty, pretty decent for a guy in his, at the time in his forties, fifties, who didn't really have a long term running background, but he virtually like fueled it on a handful of, sweets you know like jelly babies or something like that and yeah. and was an absolute zombie when he crossed the line you know like literally 
we struggled to walk him back to, and I, and I used to think, wow, this is just, this is the marathon. You hit the wall. This is, it's all part. But I actually now looking back at it, think if only I'd had the knowledge to advise him, he was just drinking a little bit of water, having a few, and it would nowhere near enough fuel to, to carry you for, for that long. Um, you know, it could have yeah. made all the difference. I agree with you. And this is a great question. And I know you're going to be a little biased, but it's a fair one. Um, that wall that you're talking about, the wall that everybody yeah. tries to avoid and it's avoidable. Um, yeah. How, like, how would you advise someone during their training to use precision fuel and hydration to help them so that they don't hit a wall at mile 18 or 20? Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's two, there's two slash three reasons why you would hit the wall. Now, typically the hit in the wall is glycogen depletion. It's running out of fuel. So one of the first things to do is make sure that you are carbohydrate loading in the last few days before the event, because your body can store, when you're fit, your body can store a phenomenal amount of carbs actually. And, you know, so there used to be this theory that you would come off carbohydrates and deplete yourself and then super compensate. But actually it's been pretty comprehensively proven that all you need to do is as your tapering trains that as your training tapers down for the last few days is just increase the amount of carbs that you eat a little bit there are scientific guidelines but but they often don't mean much to people kill you know grams of carbohydrate per kilo body weight i always just say to people instead you know when you when you eat your regular meals in the last two three days swap out some of the, the protein or some of the high fiber veggies and those kind of things and swap in some of the unhealthy carbs you know some like white bread white pasta white rice um, potato chips whatever it is to have an extra portion of those with your meals snacks in between meals with, which contain a lot of carbs and not a lot of fiber and what you'll find is that will stock your your body up really well your muscles will be full of carbs on on race day which is what you want then once you get into the race it's like um you've got to get the pacing right because you can still no matter how much carbohydrate or, fl or fluid you take in and no matter how fit you are the temptation is always to go off too hard you've got to you've got to rein that in and run at or even ideally ever so slightly below goal pace to start with as you build into it and that'll help you avoid hitting the wall and then and then after that it's kind of yeah fueling as aggressively as you can tolerate to through the race and for a lot of people that would be at least a couple our energy gels have 30 grams of carbs in and a lot of runners that would be the preferred format and i would say it's like minimum of two energy gels per hour and it's going to feel like really odd starting to eat after 20 or 30 minutes into a marathon because you will not in any way feel like you need it because at that moment you don't but that fuel is going to that's what's going to kick you on past 20 miles because you're you're putting sugar in the blood which is going to spare muscle glycogen which is going to stop you getting that horrible heavy legged feeling and just just having the confidence that that's the right thing to do i think is is important so you know it's like carb load know your pace and stick to it and be conservative um know you know going out too hard is probably as big a problem as under fueling but then you know, don't you're burning through all that glucose yeah. so quickly. Yeah. You you yeah. it's a double whammy. If you if you if you overextend your pace, you know, you you not only you're less inclined to eat and, and you're burning more energy. And if you're going into the red zone, if you're going above your threshold, you're really going to pay for it. You know. Very once in a while, if if you 
if you roll the dice and go out hard, it pays off. Like my when I ran my half marathon PB many years ago, I threw down. I always went out like out the gates. I was on the back of a, a, a small group in a in a race that was quite windy, and I thought mm-hmm. I've got to stay in the group because. I want protection from the wind. We went through the first mile in like 4.55 and I'm like, you know, this is, this is going to go on another, you know, and, and in nine times out of 10, it would have gone horribly wrong. But for whatever reason, I was in good shape. I was determined. I turned myself inside out and pulled a PB out of the bag, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. You know, the, the rule is if you go out faster than you think you can, you're probably going to come back you know, in bad shape. So, you know, don't, don't overstretch. And then, and then that, and not overstretching then allows you to stay mentally focused and fresh. It allows you to fuel properly. And the, the, the great thing about a marathon is if you can be feeling good at 20 miles, you will feel extra good because you'll be passing people because 95% of people are slowing down at that point. And if you can be even maintaining pace or, maybe even doing a negative split and going forward, you will be flying past people. And there's nothing like that for the psychological element of it to, to make you feel fantastic. It's such a nice way to finish a race is going forward through the field. Arguably one of the hardest things to do, negative split a marathon, no big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah and to the, <laughs> to the listeners on here, that just means running the second half faster, which, you know, that takes a lot of discipline, a lot of practice with pacing. Um, Andy, would you recommend that, you know, during your training, actually during those 20 mile long runs, having up on precision fuel actually later in the run to prepare you, like, I mean, over time to prepare you for your marathon? Yeah, I would, I would say whatever your preferred fuel is, whether it's something that, you know, we, we do or or whatever you're going to use in the marathon, like use it in training, like simulate as best you can. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in training runs, getting faster rather than slower so my coach always had me doing a lot of what he called acceleration runs where essentially you would start at a certain pace let's say it was seven minutes a mile and then it would drop by 10 or 15 seconds a mile throughout the duration of the run or it could be if it's a really long run it might be more subtle than that and you might break it down into say three mile chunks and you might do you might drop by 10 seconds after three miles and, and work it through but then alongside that you're fueling and hydrating as close to exactly the same times, the same products that you're going to use in the race so that race day literally becomes another rollout. Cause for the, for the vast majority of people, not many of us are racing a marathon. We're there to do our, our best and enjoy yeah. it. And yeah. So, so you're not going to worry about whether the, the front pack's going to surge or go slow or what the pacemakers are going to do. That's, that's a worry for like 15 people in the race. Everyone else is yeah. there yeah. to, to knock out a steady day at their best effort yeah. because then you're going to get your best result. And so exactly. as much as it doesn't feel like it, you want, you can treat it like another long training run and kind of control the yes. controllables. I love that. Oh, control the controllables. Yes. So not the weather, but your feeling strategy. And, you know, I yeah. love that. Um, that's honestly, um, I like I jumped into my first marathon to see if I could finish it. Um, it did not have a fueling strategy in place. I was very novice. Uh, still, mm. still am. But you know, for the majority of runners and people, there's no better feeling than finishing a race strong and like finishing it and being able to do that. And so, just nailing your hydration and your fueling during your training is only going to help that become possible and yeah. recover better, right? 
Yeah, definitely. And you're mu- you're much more likely to come off the back of it with a positive mindset if you finish strong, and it all just becomes way way more enjoyable. Um, there's no, you, it's hard enough. It's hard anyway. You don't need to make it any harder by going out too fast or underfueling. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I yes, I love that you said that, and yeah, that just speaks to the majority of marathoners, as you said. You know, yes. I mean. I started my last marathon with the people wearing like tutus, you know what I mean? And like, but they yeah. were loving it. And like, I saw them crossing yeah. the finish line too. And they were just like, a lot of them felt, I, I could like tell, like they definitely felt good. And then a lot of them looked a little rough, you know, but that's yeah. just because I feel like this is more new to the, the marathon community. I mean, it's not new, but it just, I think it needs to be a little, you know, implemented more in training. Yeah, yeah, for definite. I would say it's not a reflection on runners in particular. It's just the it's just the state of it's just the state of the culture where we're at is that this has always been a huge topic in triathlon, in road cycling, that kind of stuff, because the duration of the events is that much longer. Marathon for a long time represented about as far as any runners would ever go. But I think now that ultra marathons are a lot more popular and people are using marathons as stepping stones, then the emphasis on fueling. Plus I think things like the we got a real insight from things like the nike breaking two project you know into how much emphasis they they that was obviously a big part about the shoes and the training but it was also huge on the nutrition side and how much carbohydrate those athletes were being fed throughout the race to optimize their performance and that opened a few people's eyes to as to how much impact getting your nutrition right can have on performance at that level or and and therefore you know kind of at any level because we're all the there are differences between the the rest of us and the really elite athletes, but but there are also more similarities, you know, in terms of we're all burning energy, we all need to replace it. Yes. Like, you know, what's hard for Elliot Kachogi, it's hard for a first time marathoner. And they're both working as hard. Same with fueling. We all need we all need fuel, but it's just gonna look different for everyone. Yeah. 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 And he's practicing that in training all the time, you know, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've watched him run like obviously on TV. I wish I could meet him in person one day. Um, but he's, yeah, I mean, I've, they're, they're always handing him his bottles, right. With his whatever concoction in there. And I'm, I'm always thinking like, I wonder what's in there. I like definitely a good mix of some sort of fuel hydration, but I wonder what it is, you know, I, I think, curious. I think for, yeah, well, for, I think based on my experience for elite marathon runners, it, it depends a lot on the climate. I think in colder, because a lot of good marathons are running cool conditions. So actually, when you're running in cool conditions, the emphasis shifts away from hydration and more towards fuel. But the fast runners will still take their fuel in as a liquid because it's easier to di- it's easier to swallow and digest than taking a gel. So I think what you'll see in in cooler marathons is what's in those bottles is probably a very very strong carbohydrate drink, and. Whereas what happens as the conditions get hotter is they'll reduce the carbohydrate component or increase the water component and probably increase the electrolyte component so that it becomes more hypotonic. So sports drinks can kind of fall into one of three categories. You've got isotonic, which is the one everyone's heard of, which is kind of the jack of all trades. That's like around about 6% carbohydrate. So that's like what most people just know as a regular Gatorade or Powerade or something, which is it's it's kind of tries to do everything it has its use but it it's kind of a jack of all trades master of none 
if you go stronger than that, if you go to, um, let's say, a 10, 12, 15% carbohydrate solution, like a, a, Coke, a flat Coca-Cola is about 10, 12% carbs, that's more, that's going to fuel you better than it's going to hydrate you. And that that kind of strength is what people will tend to use if it's if conditions are colder because your requirement for fluid is modest, but your requirement for carbs is super high. If it's super hot, you can go the other way and, and make what's called a hypotonic solution. So that might be three or four percent carbohydrate. So it's more watered down than a an isotonic drink, but you're going to drink more volume. So when you drink more volume, you get more calories. And you couldn't drink the same you couldn't drink the same volume of a 12% solution, just be sick. So you kind of water it down, which is why often people intuitively find that in hot weather they might water a Gatorade down by 50%, because then it it hydrates better. Um, the, the the danger with that though is you you dilute the electrolytes out, which is why we make some hypotonic drinks with very still with very high electrolyte levels, because obviously the more you're sweating, the more you're gonna need those. So it's a case of look, it's it, for runners, I would liken it to obviously choosing the right shoes for the course. You know, you if you if you pull out a, a hypertonic carbohydrate drink on a really hot day, it's like pulling out your trail shoes for a road marathon. It's just not the right tool for the job. You gotta you gotta look at the conditions and pick what the best thing to use is. Yeah, I wow, I love that. And that's just something to think about also because there's Gatorade and water on courses and like hypotonic um isotonic right that's what you said the first one yeah is like the jack of all trades yeah um and just like adjusting based on where you're running and the climate and you know yeah your body's demands as well and hopefully getting some training in that i would hope as well as yeah. you know fueling your body what were you gonna say <laughs> i was just gonna say we've got a we've got a blog on the website um which explains hypertonic isotonic and high hypotonic drinks so i'll i'll share that one with you as well because that if people want to kind of delve into that topic a little bit more that's that's quite uh that's quite a well-read blog on our site that's worth a look i would love to, yes that would be fantastic thank you um and you know definitely to the listeners on the show this is stuff that will help you run a faster marathon a stronger marathon but just to enjoy the process and to have fun with it and to just, you know, enjoy the longevity of the sport, even triathlons. Um, you know, if you want to dabble in that world one day, like Andy, um, Andy, that is also on my list. I used to be a swimmer, but like the cycling scares me because I'm yeah. afraid to bike too quickly. So I got to <laughs> learn that first. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, the great thing is that Ali, if you've got a swimming background, that's, I would say that's the hardest one to pick up late. So yeah cycling the, the running cycling fitness can take a bit of time to, to to sort of translate but it's an easier translation than learning to swim that's for, that's for sure okay, well that's reassuring good to know um and yeah you know that maybe that day will come sooner than later uh but you know final question i know you know thank you so much for taking your time today to be on here again and this is really informative stuff like i i'm in awe right now i'm so excited to just yes be two more try your product and just learn more and share this with so many other runners but that's cool yeah yeah um so why did you say yes to being on the run without you live podcast today why did i say that um i think because what we got i got invited to talk on a podcast probably about six or seven years ago um 
in the UK and I just kind of at the time I wasn't really a podcast listener myself but I just thought well what what harm can it do you know it's quite nice for someone to actually come in and talk about your experiences and things and what happened was we got a fantastic response from people that listened to it like getting in touch with us hitting the website asking questions because something had piqued their interest and and since then I've been on quite a lot of podcasts and talking and because I think a lot of runners and athletes listen to them when they're training if we can I wish someone had told me some of these things when I was younger and training hard and if we can just share some of that information with your audience then that can have a positive experience yeah I mean there's there's always the aspect for us that we're a commercial business and we have products and services to sell and that kind of thing but that is not the thing that is not the principal thing that drives us it's like we're athletes at heart we like working with athletes and having the opportunity to you know come on your show connect with your audience hopefully this resonates with a few people or gives people a few pointers in the right direction then if we do that then we you know i'm happy that's that's all part of it you know endurance sports is a great community to be part of um, and I've, I, I will always be part of that community and enjoy interacting with people. That's so, I love that. That's authentic, genuine. And I think that runners need more of this. So like more of this information and this guidance and these tools, they're all amazing and they're hard to find, honestly. Like it, there's they so are. much stuff out there and you don't know what's good, what's bad. But when you have someone like you who went from athlete to, you know, scientist and, you know, now you're doing what you're doing with an amazing product um it's going to help a lot it could help a lot of people and i know it does already it could help even more more runners you know and i'm excited yeah we we just encourage anyone who's listening to this thinking yeah this kind of sounds interesting to me like get in touch with us send us an email you've you've said about we do free video calls with people um if they if they want to ask specific questions Um, we've got we've got tons of information on our knowledge hub on the website and the case studies it's all keyword searchable so you can search for your topics we do have quite a bit about marathon running in particular on there so yeah just hit the site and um, let us know if we can help yes i love that and you know definitely will be sharing your planner and the video console call link in the show notes as well as um you know several blog posts and to the listeners on here um do not forget alley 15 get you 15% off your first order of precision fuel and hydration. Uh, and Andy here, the founder, you know, is, you know, happy to get on a call with you to, you know, discuss your personalized hydration needs and fueling needs. And yes, um, Andy, thank you so much for being on the Roman Daily Live podcast. It was a pleasure learning about your product and meeting you today. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for the invite. And if, if we can help with your journey towards Kona and triathlon in the future, then you know where we are. Absolutely. I do. I do that. Yes. I will definitely take you up on that when the time comes and yes. Uh, so, you know, anyone on here, if you're also training for Kona or any of the longer events or marathons, look into precision, um, fuel and hydration. And other than that, if you haven't subscribed to the show already, please do so now or after the show. And I will see you at the same time, same place next week with a new special guest. Thank you so much. Don't forget to become a member on my website to get updates on my weekly new special episodes on the show, sharing fun running feats, training methodologies, and all things running related to help you keep your running fun. 
Reference the link in the show notes to become a member of the Run With Alley community so you can connect with other like-minded individuals who love running just as much as you do. Again, do not forget to subscribe to the show by clicking the follow plus button Apple Podcasts or subscribing on whichever platform you're listening to the show on. Please leave a review under the episode in whichever directory you're listening to the show in so I can better provide you with the top-notch content I strive to deliver you week in and week out. Thank you again for listening to Run With Alley Live. If you are looking for the perfect solution to finish your first marathon injury-free, even if you've tried to get in shape in the past and failed, sign up and get access to your free 24-week program now by clicking in the link in the show notes under this episode. Sign up now. All you need to submit is your email, and I'll see you on the inside. Thank you so much for listening to Run With Alley Live. See you next time.